Welcome to Solder Smoke, a podcast about wireless technology. We talk about everything from old-time crystal radios to modern digital satellites. We form a global brotherhood bound together by a common desire to understand, repair, design, and build our own electronic equipment, and by a willingness to help each other in our efforts to master radio technology. All are welcome. Now, please join us in the solder smoke. Solder Smoke is brought to you by Sierra Radio Systems, the creators of the Hamstack. Check them out, www.hamstack.com, and visit them at Dayton at booth 406. It was hot as blazes in Santo Domingo that 1995 night, and the humidity was near maximum. But I was happily ensconced in the air-conditioned radio room of my suburban house. I'm sure my neighbors figured that all the antennas on the roof had something to do with my work at the American Embassy, but they were wrong. The antennas and all the radio gear had absolutely nothing to do with the Embassy. In fact, for reasons that I think will become obvious, I deliberately kept my off-duty electronics work secret from my diplomatic colleagues. During the day, I was a mild-mannered diplomat for the world's one remaining superpower. But by night, I was a radio fiend. Okay, I thought we'd start out with something a bit different this week, and that, that was certainly different. Uh, what you were listening to there was yours truly reading the, uh, well, not actually reading, having read for him the uh, opening lines of the book Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics. The um, it, It's from the, from the Kindle. That's the um, text-to-speech feature on the Kindle. And I played it because just last week, in response to popular demand and pressure from the Solder Smoke listeners, I uh, I Kindleized the book. It's really been kind of an interesting process. I did it before with the uh, the other book, Contra Cross, but this one this one has been a lot more fun for some reason, and and it it's really um, been very well received. I've get got received a lot of emails from folks who are. Really happy to have solder smoke on their Kindle, <laughs> and uh, it I, well it definitely makes uh, distributing the book uh, a lot easier. It and it has this the Kindles has this have this um, you know text to speech uh, feature, and so if you want you can you can listen to it that way. I don't know you, some of you may prefer um, that voice to the one you're listening to now. <laughs> At least it doesn't have any whistling s's in it and all that. But hey, it's um, Sunday. The 17th of April, and that makes this um, Solder Smoke 133. Uh, good morning, sitting here in the shack on a on a Sunday morning, coffee cup in hand. Was just listening to uh, 75 meter AM. Life is good. Um, yeah, Kindle. So um, anyway, uh, I think uh, I think Kindle will be good for a lot of folks um, who, especially folks who may have and be in a place where they can't get. Uh, reliable delivery of uh, of snail mail. Uh, Kindle will take care of all of that, and um, you don't even need a Kindle to to get to read the book <laughs> via Kindle. This is kind of ironic. You don't need to be walking around with one of these little e-readers. We have one, and I, I have have had um, kind of my ups and downs with it. I I, I sort of prefer the uh, the dead tree version sometimes, but. Uh, I know a lot of people really love the Kindle, and I see more and more of them on the um, on the Washington D.C. Metro line every day. So I know they're the the wave of the future. Um, but you don't even need to have one 
to to get Solder Smoke the book um, to you and read it because uh, Amazon makes available a free um, kind of virtual Kindle software program that you could download for your PC, for your BlackBerry, for your mobile device. So in effect, it puts a Kindle inside your uh, your computer and lets you listen to it, lets you um, read the book uh, that way instead of having to buy the $139 device or whatever it is. So so check out the site. I I have it up on the uh, on the blog and uh, you can uh, you can visit the uh, the Kindle Kindle version of the the Solder Smoke book. Check it out and you can also uh, see where you could download the the virtual Kindle and have a put a virtual Kindle on your computer. <laughs> uh, I I've had some fun with that. Okay guys, um, you know, we're we're about 2 weeks from April 1st. So I guess it's time to talk about April 1st. You know, we, we go through this every year and um, sometimes it's it's a bit painful, but but we have to do it because we're participating, of course, in an ancient, well, not quite ancient, but old uh, ham radio tradition. And that is the, the tradition of April 1st. And, and you know, I, I must say, I... Over the years, reading a QST magazine, every once in a while, on April 1st, I would read what they came up with, and I would think to myself, man, you know, that's a bit lame. That's a bit weak. And, But now I'm beginning to discover, since we've been doing the Solder Smoke broadcast for all these five or six years now, how why it is that sometimes those QST April 1st articles seem a bit weak and that is because it's hard to come up <laughs> with good ones and new ones year after year and i think part of this has to do with what i get i guess we could call the perils of plausibility the perils of plausibility you know you for the, for the april 1st article you've got to come up with something that is at least somewhat plausible and the problem when you're dealing with a technological subject is that as soon as you get into the area of the plausible, you're getting close to the possible. And and what what sounds like it, it couldn't possibly happen and that people shouldn't really fall for this and they shouldn't swallow this story hook, line, and sinker. Um, it, it I've discovered that you know, a few months later, you find out that what you were presenting as ridiculous is now completely possible and has been done. And in, in fact, a few years back, our April Fool's story involved uh, Michael, AA1TJ, and one of his um, very unique and uh, inspirational flea power transmitters. And the story was that I, I ran the story that I had somehow miraculously picked up Michael's signal from the Hobbit Hole in Vermont, all the way over at my QTH in, um, in my, my location in in Rome, Italy, using nothing more than my trusty Drake 2B receiver and a few feet of wire thrown out of the apartment window. Now, we had Michael transmit a um, a message that said "April Fool, April Fool," and then I play the recording <laughs> and. And oh, we had a good, we had good fun with it because who could possibly have believed that that little flea power signal would make it all the way across the mighty Atlantic 
to my location in Rome, Italy. Well, uh, I guess a couple of months after that, I started playing around with um, with Whisper and QRSS and that kind of technology, and I found myself uh, picking up signals routinely and having my very, very low power signal routinely picked up on the other side of the ocean using power levels very similar to those that were being transmitted uh, around the April 1st period by Michael AA1TJ. So that's that's one of the problems. Now, there's there were certain stories over the past few years that that really, there's there's no excuse to you guys. Well, maybe there was. Okay, here's, here's another example. You know, Sonder Smoke on Oprah. I think this will always be be thought of by many Sutter Smoke listeners as something that couldn't possibly have happened and that nobody really should have fallen for this. But, you know, there were a lot of guys, and I got to tell you, they admitted to it. They were big, and they, I, you know, I admire them for this. There were a lot of guys who, who ran out from the ham shack and said to their wives, the wives sitting there knitting or something, and they said, Honey, Bill Maron Sutter Smoke is going to be on Oprah. Make sure you let me know when, when that episode comes up. And many guys admitted that their wives kind of looked up and kind of squinted their eyes at the person who was speaking and said, obviously thought, well, you know, old Harold is really losing it there in the ham shack because if he thinks that solder smoke is going to be on Oprah, well, I don't know. Um, but you know what? A few weeks after we ran that story, um, the guys on Make Blog which is not that really, not really all that far from, um, from solder smoke. Um, and they do a little bit more macrame and knitting and stuff, but you know, they're, they're into electronics too. And they were on Martha Stewart, you know? So, um, and Martha Stewart's not that far from Oprah, I guess. So anyway, this is what I'm talking about. The perils of, of plausibility. And, um, okay. So that, that gets us to this year's story and it was written, this year's story is the result of um, an email that supposedly came to me from a friend of mine named uh, Carlo uh, in Italy, in which he alerted me to the uh, to the work of uh, a noted Italian post-war radio amateur named Dr. Uh, Andrea Bugiardo. Now, that should have been your first clue, because you need to look up Bugiardo in an Italian-English dictionary. Those of you who are not in Italy... Uh, <laughs> need to do that. <laughs> Those of you in Italy know exactly what I'm talking about. Bugiardo, Bugiardo means liar. So Dr. Andrea Liar was writing to us from the beautiful um, village of Scherzo Barzaletta. And Scherzo means you're like you're kidding. Scherzo, stai scherzando. Uh, means you're kidding around, you're kidding me. And Barzaletta is uh, kind of a kind of a uh, of, uh, a joke, kind of a, a prank, a practical joke. And the, the the village of Scherzo Barzaletta is, of course, located in the the picturesque province of Trucco Embroglio. Uh, it it sounds it sounds right, doesn't it, guys? But uh, Trucco Trucco is like a trick, and an Embroglio is like uh, a fraud. So, um, Doctor Andrea Lyre working uh, from the, the beautiful village of Kidding Around uh, Jokeville in the beautiful province of, um, uh, of Trick Fraud. <laughs> oh, yes, and, and he, and he publishes, publishes his work in the, uh, the well-respected Italian radio magazine Radio Furbizia. 
<laughs> well, I, you know, furbizia is um, kind of a very important Italian word. It comes from the word furbo. A furbo is kind of um, an operator, kind of a sly, cunning, uh, disreputable guy who takes a very kind of underhanded um quasi legal approach to uh to life so <laughs> radio furbizia anyway you know and this was all sparked by the um the um the posting that i came across i think it was on the maker blog about uh, home brewing piezoelectric crystals and i was really astonished that um that um the one of the key ingredients in piezoelectric crystals is cream of tartar cream of tartar i i i put this up on the blog and this was a for real article it was a video in which this guy had kind of rolled his own rochelle salts elements that could of course be used as the crystal elements in our beloved d104 microphones hence the uh the whole April 1st story. Now, here's where the joke's on me, guys. <laughs> here's where I'm the victim of my own April 1st scam. Um, because I read Cream of Tartar, and somehow in my mind, I got that confused with um, tartar sauce. Tartar sauce. You know, tartar sauce. It's always around the kitchen. I don't really know what the, what it's used for, but... Um, uh, it's there, you know. It's there with the Worcestershire sauce and the, um, you know, and the, and the hot sauce and the red hot sauce and, and all the other sauces that are in there. So I'm thinking, who knew? You know, we knew about breadboards being used in ham radio, but um, cream of tartar or tartar sauce. Anyway, you could tell I got them all jumbled, and um, I've been informed by a, uh, <laughs> and I got I, I got I to look up the email. I'll do this during the mailbag. But uh, I, I really got to chuckle because the email came in and it uh, the subject line was kind of in the voice of a transportation security agent uh, officer at the airport. And uh, the subject line was, uh, Sir, step away from the microphone and put down the tartar sauce. <laughs> Because, you know, guys, there's a big difference between cream of tartar, which is a chemical element, and a tartar sauce, which is um, something that you cook with. And I, I admit, I didn't realize that, so the joke's on me. But um, the joke was also on a large number of, of you who apparently believed that we should be um, pouring sugar sauce, sugar salt, and perhaps some hot sauce into the... Um, chemical elements of our our microphones so um anyway guys the the perils of plausibility I, i've posted the letter from uh, from carlo up on the blog if you want to check it out and now with the uh, with the several new words that you've learned in italian furbizia trucco imbroglio uh, bugiardo scherzo barzelletta you guys will have a an even uh, deeper understanding of uh the italian technique for chemically tailoring uh, of the crystal elements of, of microphones, uh, a.k.a. the Bujardo technique. Um, <laughs> see you next year. <laughs> all right, let's see what's going on. Um, and all kinds of uh, kind of interesting stuff. Not melting a lot of solder, but doing some troubleshooting here.
troubleshooting on a on a beacon project that I I find interesting. I mentioned this uh, earlier. I might have or I might have written about it on the blog. You know, I'm big on beacons. Tony Fishpool over there in uh, in England says I'm more of a broadcaster than a radio amateur, and he's probably right. I mean, here I am doing the podcast, right? And I got beacons running. Well, one of my favorite kinds of beacons was um, one that I, I used when we were out in the Azores, and it's a, a satellite beacon, a beacon that takes your signal and puts it out to the world through a, uh, a low-Earth orbit satellite. When we were in the Azores, I used the one that was on, I guess, on the space station. No, I don't think the space station was up at that, that, that time. Mir was certainly up, and I think they had the digipeter on Mir. And um, PCSAT was the one we were used. That was a, a little satellite made by the uh, intrepid midshipman at the United States Naval Academy that's now uh, quite nearby in Annapolis, Maryland. Anyway, um, uh, I, what I would do is I would set up a little two-meter rig and uh, a little computer program that would send out a, um, a packet signal every minute or so with uh, automatic posi- position recordings, reporting system, APRS data, in the packet. And the packet would go up, and uh, every once in a while when it went up, there'd be a satellite up there that would digipede it and send it back down. And then some station, usually in Europe, but sometimes all the way across in, in North America, would would pick it up and then pass it along to the Internet. And lo and behold, a little symbol would appear on a map on the Internet showing me out there mid-Atlantic. I used a little symbol that showed an island with a palm tree on it. <laughs> Great fun. You know... Um, this kind of beacon operation, it, it, I was thinking about it. it, it's sort of akin to fly fishing. You know, the fly fisherman sits there and he, he throws that thing out and flicks it on the water and flicks it on the water and he flicks it on the water quite a bit until a big bass happens to be in the right spot and boom, you catch one. Well, that's sort of what happens here. And you might, be, you might even be able to hear the relays clicking on the, uh, the two-meter amplifier that I'm using because I, I have the uh, the space beacon running at this time and it consists of my old uh, Cantronics TNC3 um, terminal node controller and the um, Toshiba laptop um, computer that uh, Kevin ZL3KE helped me revive and the uh, Radio Shack 2 meter handy talkie that I had with me back in 93-94 in the Dominican Republic when we uh, got into um, voice over the internet and I, and I would hook it up to the uh, vocal tech uh, internet phone program and receive uh, radio phone calls in Santo Domingo over the 2 meter HT this was even before the days of, uh, of cell phones in the Dominican Republic, so I thought I was particularly cool. Anyway, I digress. Uh, and the final element that we have in this um, satellite beacon arrangement is a uh, communication concepts uh, 35-watt 2-meter amplifier. I picked it up at a ham shack somewhere and uh, used it every once in a while, usually for this purpose. I don't, I'm not really that into 2 meters, and I'm certainly not that into packet but this is a, a good use for both two meters and packet. And uh, I've got the little amplifier there. I'll tell you about the troubleshooting that I did on the amplifier in a minute. But like I said, the whole thing sits there. 
I've got a little vertical antenna out on the back porch and every minute bam, bing, you might have heard the click there, bing, out it goes once a minute sends out a little burst, the whole packet burst probably takes about two seconds to transmit because all it has in it is my call sign and my geographic coordinates and uh, almost all the time it's heard by nobody because it's all line of sight and there aren't too many people listening on 145.825 even in uh, in radio intense northern Virginia but every once in a while a couple times a day the International Space Station that huge huge spacecraft happens to be flying over this location and they have the digipeter on and the digipeter picks up my little signal amplifies it and sends it back down to earth and um, a couple weeks ago I thought I um, I saw because you can you can check on the um, on your own receive signals you could the uh, the the TNC records stations heard and um, I looked there one morning and in the list of stations heard I saw my uh, my call sign and so I said wow I've I've made it through the digipeter but there's a there was a weird thing about it I haven't quite figured this out all the stations that are repeated that are digipeated appear with an asterisk indicating that they did not come to me direct that they came via a digipeter now my signal is my my call sign is in there and it's the only station without the asterisk how could that have happened <laughs> somebody somehow the signal came back to me without being digipeted i think that's impossible so I, I put on the blog that, that I saw several possible explanations for this. One could be, you know, some sort of long-delayed echo thing that we've heard about in ham radio over the years. Then, of course, related to this is the, uh, the possibility of uh, Klingon interception or, some, <laughs> or something like that. Or there's, a, I suppose, there's a remote possibility that I'm misinterpreting the results or I've set up my TNC improperly. And uh, anyway, if anybody could anybody out there who's a, a packeteer, if there are still packeteers, uh, could let me know why I would be getting this signal without the uh, without the asterisk. That'd be be really interesting. Now the troubleshooting portion comes with the amplifier because um, it has a little RF sensor in the front end of the amplifier, and as soon as RF appears at the amplifier input little transistor fires a relay clicks over and the uh, and the amplifier goes from receive mode to transmit mode and out your packet goes amplified well um, there it goes anyway I um, I noticed um, about a week or so ago that it wasn't clicking anymore and so some troubleshooting was in order and I opened the thing up which was fun it's a beautiful little piece of work I mean communications concepts very nice little amplifier in there. Simple, all discrete components on one PC board with a big, nice heat sink and a Motorola transistor at the heart of the whole thing. And it, it was, a, you know, a quick but satisfying little bit of troubleshooting. I determined that the, um, uh, the RF sensing gear was, was doing its job as soon as a, a voltage appeared there on the base of the, uh, the sensing transistor. The... Um, the relays clicked and everything was uh, was working and I, I really couldn't figure out what was going on 
So I put the whole thing back together, put it back on the shelf, and once again, it was not working. <laughs> it wasn't clicking. So I opened it up again, and we went through this uh, a couple times. I would open it up again, check it. Yep, it's working. I would hook up the, um, the two-meter handy talkie, push the push to talk, click, click, click. The thing would click over, and uh, no problem. So I put it all back together, put it back on the shelf, do the same test, and it wouldn't work. <laughs> So I checked all the connections. I thought maybe one of the uh, the coax connectors might have been loose. No, everything looked good. And I just discovered that it's uh, that it works fine upside down, but it does not work right side up. So um, my thought is that there's the relay is a little bit kind of stuck. There might be some sort of corrosion, or so. it's 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 quite old. There might be in there something in there that's mechanically slowing down the uh, the relay or impeding the uh, the throw of the relay. And when I have it upside down, gravity helps the relay click. And when I have it right side up, it's working against gravity, and it doesn't have quite enough oomph to make those uh, to make that relay fire. I don't feel like going in there and ripping the relay out. So right now, uh, a real Sutter smoke solution. I have it working upside down. It sort of reminded me of that virus that went around the internet a while back that uh, that caused the the video display to to display upside down, and my. Uh, my son Billy went and visited a friend in in Rome and uh, was astonished to find the uh, the family computer monitor toes up <laughs> in the living room, <laughs> and apparently they got hit by this virus and couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. And so their solution was just to turn the computer monitor upside down, and that's how they used it. <laughs> it was ridiculous. All right, but uh, anyway, that's the. Um, that was the uh, the troubleshooting project this week. The um, the beacons are going out, and um, once a minute uh, they they transmit. I get that very satisfying little click from the uh, upside down relays. My messages go out to the universe and occasionally are sent back to Earth by the International Space Station. So we're we're doing some kind of outer space fly fishing with electromagnetic waves. Here's an idea: if any of you guys are kind of in the same footprint of the International Space Station, why don't you try to send me a message? Just put something there in your beacon text or, uh, you know, just go into converse mode and say, you know, hi, Bill, or hello to solder smoke or something like that. Send me a packet and then I'll, you know, I check this this thing every morning and I'll see it in my uh, station's herd log and then I'll report on the next solder smoke about whether I've actually received a, a message via the International Space Station. How about that? I think that would be pretty interesting. So if anybody's, you know, anybody on the East Coast wants to give that a go, um, or I guess you, I guess from further afield, we could still do it via, um, via digipeters. <laughs> Just put in there that you want it to be digipeted by the International Space Station. Um, we'll see if we can, uh, we can get that going. That'd be fun. Okay, guys, it's time for a word from our sponsors, Sierra Radio Systems. Uh, you know, it's a real pleasure working with these guys. And um, George, uh, KJ6VU, and John, uh, KJ6K, they sent me the product that we've been talking about here on Solder Smoke. The, uh, it's, the, it's the starter pack for the Hamstack Microcontroller Project Platform. And I've got to tell you, it's a, it really is a, a beautiful product. The, um, I have in my hand the... Uh, the manual for it, and you know, uh, you know that I'm a, uh, I'm essentially a um, hardware-defined 
designer who programs in solder and, um, you know, has had real problems with surface mount parts. But I got to tell you, <laughs> if anything's going to convert me into uh, it's, into the world of modern technology, this product is it. And Because I, I really feel compelled to to start programming and start coming up with some lines of code. And I can see applications all around the ham shack in which the ham stack would be very, very useful. I mean, it comes in a really, it comes in a really nice box. It's got, it got, it's got the CPU parts kit. It's got a USB, pro, uh, uh, USB program board. It's got a real nice CD-ROM with um, all kinds of useful files on it. And then, like I said, the manual itself, really nice. I'll read you the intro because I think it really gives you a sense of what's going on here. Um, over the pa over the last several years, we have built some very sophisticated multi-CPU ham radio projects using PIC microcontrollers. The power and flexibility of these devices can be applied to many applications, including repeater controllers, beacon transmitters, keyers, antenna switches, battery monitors, etc. We've had several people ask us how to get started designing and building their own microcontroller-based ham projects, as we thought about it, we asked ourselves, what would the perfect platform look like? We came up with the following criteria. Powerful enough to build real applications. Simple enough that anyone can start to learn from scratch. Open enough so you're not tied down to only one chip or language. Focus on higher level languages, including C and BASIC. Low cost to encourage everyone to give it a try small hardware that can be embedded into projects, expandable enough to handle large projects, and examples that are relevant to the ham radio operator. You know, as I read this, I can, I can see several applications right here in the shack. You know, on my fascination with beacons, and for example, I, I have several beacons running at the same time, and I find myself manually running around switching the antenna. One day I'm on QRSS, one day I'm on, um, on Whisper, and I, I've often thought that it would be great to have something that would manually switch, I mean automatically switch over the whole system and switch the antennas and switch the power. And uh, I, I mean, also, of course, what you would like to have go into your QRSS uh, transmission. You could switch between various modes. You could put some felt hell in there, funny pictures on the screen, uh, the call sign, all kinds of stuff. And of course, my recent adventures with the International Space Station and uh, and the packet beacons, the uh, the applications here are, are really obvious. I'll continue reading from the manual. As we looked around, it became obvious that nothing really met our requirements. So, in typical ham radio fashion, we decided to build a platform that met our criteria. We looked at various hardware devices, board form factors, language compilers, etc. The result of that effort is a platform called the Hamstack. The ham part of the name refers to the desire to target the platform to the needs of the ham radio operator. The stack is a play on words that refers to the physical design of the platform with its ability to stack multiple boards together. Stack also refers to the software stack of libraries that are available to make programming easier. And, you know, the, the, the intro talks about... The ham stack is designed for the beginner and the experienced designer. The ham stack is open. The ham stack is modular. Some assembly is required. And then there's an interesting paragraph here. It says, how does the ham stack compare to other hardware and software out there? And this has come up. You know, I'm, I'm glad they, they have this right up front in the book 
because I had a couple of listeners come back and said, hey, wait a second, you guys have been talking about Arduino, Arduino. And, you know, you know, we all love Arduino. You know, it's got this, this nice history behind it. It's in, from northern Italy, so, of course, I love it. And, uh, but but uh, John and George really address this quite well here. It says here, there will be the inevitable comparison between the Hamstack and the Arduino, Basic Stamp, PicL, or any of a dozen other platforms out there. There are many fine products on the market, and they all have their pros and cons. Some are proprietary, some are very slow or very limited in memory space. Some lock you into a specific software into specific software tools or languages, and most have little or no design examples or software tailored to the ham radio operator. Our goal is to make the hamstack a powerful yet easy to use platform, ideal for learning about and deploying microcontrollers in ham radio projects. And I think that's the key, that last phrase. So check it out www.hamstack.com and at booth 406 at the Dayton Hamvention. All right, what else we have going on? I've, I've put a, uh, a number of, of things up on the blog that I think might be of interest. Um, you know, we, we were talking a while back about the Polyakov um, direct conversion detector, the Polyakov detector. And this was a real, it's sometimes known as a subharmonic detector. And it's a, a direct conversion receiver scheme uh, developed by a Russian radio amateur named Yuri Polyakov. A lot of information on it up on the Solder Smoke blog. Really ingenious um, method. They uh, they run the oscillator at um, at half the operating frequency, and this results in some real advantages. And it allows also for a, a simple two band um, method, a, a two-band um, direct conversion receiver scheme, because you could run it as a conventional diode detector, or you could throw a switch, and then it becomes a Polyakov detector. So you could do, you know, either at uh, at the at the crystal operating frequency for the uh, local oscillator, or at at twice your 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 receive frequency would be twice the uh, crystal operating frequency. So it's obviously real good for 80 and 40, or 40 and 20. Uh, those kind of band arrangements, but uh, I really uh, we've we've talked about this before, and there's a lot of information on the blog. But it's I, I thought a really clever uh, scheme. Now I, I discovered that there's a, a station one of, one of the QRSS grabbers, um, a fella in Holland, and I don't have the call sign in front of me, and the and the other computers on the other side of the uh, the room, so um, I don't have it. But uh, but but there's information up on it on the blog. One of the grabber stations on QRSS, one of the QRSS grabbers, and uh, for those of you who don't know the term, the grabber is uh, basically a uh, a receiver for really slow speed visual. We call them visual because they're displayed on the uh, on the computer screen. You can't actually hear them; you have to look for them on the computer screen. Um, and then the, these guys take the the outputs of their computer and make them available on the internet. So we can all take a look and see what and see what is being seen in the on the receiver in in other parts of the world. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there is now a Polyakov-based DC receiver a grabber on the uh, listening on the air and uh, sending its output to the internet from from the Netherlands. And I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I have that up on the blog. You should check it out. Steve Smith Snort Rosin. You know. I've been making fun of uh, 
a poor Steve, and I, I don't mean to do it because he's he's a, a great guy and a and a loyal listener. I hope he realizes that it's all in good fun. But you know, he was um, he was getting on our case about uh, our occasional failure to put the proper output filters on our ridiculously low power milliwatt and microwatt transmitter. And of course, Steve is right. And of course, you should always, you know, wear your seatbelt and wear your bicycle helmet and, uh, you know, and floss and, um, you know, um, I don't know, uh, always wear your safety glasses and uh, all that, all that stuff. Um, anyway, um, Steve was, was telling us about that and he sent along to us, perhaps without realizing it, um, a, a picture of his version of the the Michigan Mighty Might transmitter, and uh, he called it the Super Duper X spy transmitter that he made as a novice. Really great picture. When and and underneath the picture, he had a uh, the schematic, like kind of in the background, the schematic of the transmitter. Um, <laughs> and I checked, and he didn't have the output filter. <laughs> You know, a bird out there at the University of, of, of Virginia was um, his his Michigan uh, Mighty Might uh, was the one that's that uh, that started all this discussion of these uh, these particular low power transmitters. And after I saw uh, Steve Snort Rosin Smith's um, circuit there without the output filter, I, I sent an email to Bert and I said, you know, I'm tempted to turn Steve into the Federal Communications Commission. <laughs> <laughs> have them go out there with an, an inspector and see if that super duper spy X transmitter, super duper super X spy transmitter was, uh, you know, had the appropriate level of attenuation for the, uh, for the second and third harmonics. <laughs> now, Steve, you know, Steve came back and I must say he, he admitted it, but you know, I thought his, his defense was kind of, kind of weak and, and kind of familiar. You know, what he said basically was, well, that was back in the 1970s, and things were different then. Well, indeed they were. And how, how many times have some of us heard ourselves saying those words? You know, there were a lot of things going on back in the 1970s that, well, that we wouldn't be doing today, you know. And uh, so uh, I guess uh, coming from, from California, this that's probably a place where... This kind of excuse is used a lot by members of our generation. So, Steve, we um, I, we won't turn you into the feds. I think the statute of limitations is uh, is already expired. So, um, rest easy, my friend, and uh, thanks very much for sharing with us the the pictures of your super duper spy transmitter. And it was super duper. He made actually made cusos with it right off the bat. So, um, so good stuff there. Um, you know, okay, back in outer space. You know, guys, you guys know where. We're real space cadets here at uh, at Solder Smoke headquarters. Um, we had International Yuri Gagarin Day. It was the 50th anniversary of the the first human space flight. Cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, a real hero, a hero certainly to all the Russians and should be the hero to to all of humanity, uh, um, made his first flight. I guess this is another International Geophysical Year (IGY) event. And uh, I uh, I don't remember it. I I was um, just three at the time, so I don't remember Gagarin's flight. But I'm sure many of you out there do. And um, 
they set up a nice event to commemorate, um, it, I guess it's called uh, International Yuri Day or Gagarin Day. And they were supposed to have some special transmissions from the International Space Station. There's a, a new amateur radio satellite that is on board the International Space Station awaiting deployment. It was supposed to be deployed during a recent spacewalk, but it didn't it didn't didn't happen. So now it's still inside the International Space Station. And the deal was that they were supposed to fire it up, turn it on, hopefully hook it up to an external antenna and transmit some special voice CW and packet transmissions marking um, International URI Day. So I, um, I announced this on the uh, Sutter Smoke blog. And then I was sitting here one morning. I knew that the space station was coming over. I had consulted with uh, Heavens Above. And uh, the thing came over, and I sat there, and I was listening and hoping to, to get it, and I heard nothing. So, of course, I, I figured this was uh, an operator problem at my end, and uh, I admitted to technical failure on the blog, and somebody came back and said, no, nah, no, nah, don't feel bad. Nobody heard it. <laughs> Apparently, there was some sort of technical problem there. But uh, anyway... A nice effort, and uh, good that it made us all think about uh, about uh, Yuri Gagarin and that uh, heroic heroic flight of 50 years ago. All right, hey guys, um, you know I've been talking about some of my tech troubles here, and I'm going to ask for some uh, some uh, from tech some technical support. Uh, some of the first ones it's related to the to the uh, to the internet. Um, a while back, you know, there's a solder smoke uh, page on. Facebook, and I admit I'm not much of a, a Facebook user, and so I don't get there very often, but uh, I, I appreciate the folks who set that up, and thanks. Somebody else set up a Twitter page for Solder Smoke, and they wrote to me at the time, and they said, look, I'm setting up a Solder Smoke Twitter page, and um, would you be liking, would you want to send some tweets to the Twitter page? And at, at the time, it didn't seem like such a great idea, but Twitter is getting more and more of a following. So I'm thinking it might make sense for me occasionally to send out a tweet and let people know that uh, there's a new posting on the blog or the new podcast is coming out. But I, I don't know <laughs> who set up the Solder Smoke Twitter page. So whoever did that, could you please get in touch with me? Or if anybody knows who did it, um, I'd like to, to to talk to you about that because I'd like to be, I want to be able to tweet. You know, it's, it's the, uh, you know, we try to stay on the, uh, well, not on the cutting edge, but at least on the back edge of the uh, <laughs> of the technological knife here, and uh, so um, I need to I need to learn about uh, about tweeting. Oh, here's another thing, another problem, and I know there are some iTunes wizards out there. I look at some of the other blogs on iTunes, and they have a listing for all of their old podcast episodes. But way back when, when Mike KL7R, our old buddy, taught me how to update our iTunes feed. Um, he, we had it set up so that there'd only be about the listings for the last eight or ten episodes of the Solder Smoke podcast. And somehow if we listed more of them, then, well, it wouldn't, somehow it would jam up the, the whole system and we wouldn't get an update to the RSS feed. But now I see other podcasts that'll remain unnamed out there, and they have these beautiful pages with, you know, all 137 episodes of their podcast, and we're limited to the 10. What do I need to do to get a more a complete listing for, um, 
for the Solder Smoke uh, podcast. And then, uh, oh, on, on packet, I'm trying to figure out how to get my uh, APRS data in the packet for the uh, fly fishing space beacon. So if anybody has any uh, words of wisdom on that, well, let me know. Okay, what else we got here? Um, uh, oh, another thing. Here's a question sort of in the I need help category. And this is something that our, uh, our um, radio amateur cousins in the United Kingdom can help me out with. I haven't been able to. I don't know. Am I still licensed in the UK as M0HBR? Uh, I imagine there must be a relatively easy way to check the database there with Ofcom. And um, if anybody knows how to do that, if you could check and let me know whether I'm still M0HBR. Now, here's, here's, a, here's a bonus question <laughs> for, for 10 extra points. <laughs> um, am I still licensed in the Azores as CU2JL? I don't know how many Portuguese list- listeners we have, but if anybody's listening from, from Portugal... Uh, if you could check to see that if I'm if I'm still licensed as CU2JL, I hope I am. I like that call sign. Anyway, uh, let me know what you what you guys find out. Let me flip through my notes here. Um, da, da, da. Let's see. Ah, <laughs> regarding the Kindle, we got. I, I guess I should wait for the mailbag, but uh, but anyway, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit here. Somebody wrote in and said, "Yeah, yeah, really glad glad you're on the on the Kindle." Um, and I noticed that the system that Kindle uses to distribute its programs is called uh, WhisperNet, with the full spelling Whisper W H I S P E R Net WhisperNet, and it's basically it's a cell phone system where you're walking around with your Kindle and you, you see a book you want, you hit the button and zing through the cell phone network for about forty four cents. The uh, the the book is is placed on your uh, your mobile device. Very neat. And he said, wow, isn't this ironic? You know, WhisperNet, and then you guys are always playing around with Whisper, WSPR, uh, Joe Taylor's weak signal propagation reporting system. And I I, th- I said, yeah, you know, and I made a joke. I said, well, I guess a whisper joke. Uh, you know, uh, I said, well, the download would, would take quite a bit of time via if it was um, our, our Whisper system. So... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, a little bit of whisper, whisper humor there in the uh, in the Kindle world. Um, Bob Heil, Bob Heil, man, I you know I'd heard about Bob Heil for for many many years, but really didn't know a whole lot about him until uh, recently. Some of the guys were in the, in all this discussion about microphones. I found myself uh, googling Bob Heil, and then a listener. And I and I want to give this guy credit because he, he brought a lot of happiness to many many listeners of the Solder Smoke podcast. I, I have his call sign on the blog, but a listener wrote in and said that um, one of the other podcasts, um, the guy who runs this week in amateur radio a podcast, which I like by the way, um, had done uh, Leo Laponte had done an interview with Bob Heil, and that and our our. our our correspondent wrote and said, you should really take a listen to this thing. So, you know, I was goofing around in the shack here one morning and I fired the thing up and I started listening to it and I found myself drawn in, enthralled. Really, really interesting interview with with Bob Heil, a very interesting guy. I described um, the connections between ham radio and his uh, his um, his audio business and and really interesting, his work with the rock and rollers. Um, with, with Peter Frampton, you know, Frampton, 
you know, just to, just in the last episode or two, we were talking about how a Peter Frampton song helped me resolve, and I, I hope it's resolved, <laughs> resolve our uh, RFI problem with a local FM radio station. Now, now if, you, if you're hearing uh, rock and roll playing in the background, you're chuckling because you know that my problem's not resolved. But I'm looking at the screen here, and it looks like uh, pretty flat when I'm not talking, so... <laughs> I think we got it fixed, but anyway, Peter Frampton, the Grateful Dead, Bob Heil, you know, in the in his in his interview, he says, "Oh yeah," and then I got a call from Jerry Garcia, who asked if I could help out with their, um, you know, the audio problems that they were having, and then, uh, you know, the the Who called, the Who, the Who tour of the United States was in, in bad trouble, and they had to call Bob Heil, have him come out and save the day. So this was great stuff, and I just really liked. Uh, uh, listening to Bobby sounds like a really great guy, a very nice person, and I enjoyed that. Then I did some more googling, and I found a video, a video about uh, Bob Hiles' story, and uh, a lot of discussion of uh, of ham radio, the role that ham radio played in his uh, in his personal, professional, and technical development. Uh, great stuff. All that's up on soldersmoke.blogspot.com, so check it out. Uh, you know, he discusses. Uh, Earth, Moon, Earth, Communications, uh, The Grateful Dead, Peter Frampton, um, and uh, and really, 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 really good stuff. Um, really, really like that. All right, what else we got? Um, ah, more space news. You can tell we're in outer space here this week, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those of you who are not interested in this. I, who could not be interested? This is interesting stuff. You know, um, good news for those of us in northern Virginia First, for Northern Virginia space cadets, this was a week of, of really good news. You know, um, uh, a month or two ago, I was describing how uh, we were all observing the, um, the International Space Station and the Shuttle Discovery flying over Northern Virginia. And uh, this is what got me into the whole beacon thing that I've just been talking about. Well, the two spacecraft that we were looking at was, of course, Shuttle Discovery on its last mission and the um, International Space Station. And this week, NASA announced the uh, the final resting place of the Shuttle Discovery. Uh, there were all the shuttles are going to go to museums, but it was sort of no pun intended up in the air um, which ones, which museums they would go to. Well, it's just been decided that the Shuttle Discovery is going to go to the um, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum's um, big big location out there at Dulles Airport, the place that we visited over the winter. And it's going to replace the, um, the kind of training shuttle they have out there, the Enterprise. I, I'm kind of glad about this because I must say that when we went out to the um, to the center at Dulles Airport, the only thing I was a little bit disappointed with was the um, the shuttle Enterprise. It, I know it was, uh, it was used for training purposes, but it didn't seem like a real shuttle. It wasn't one of the ones that we've been watching over the years, because it, it it was only used for training purposes, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, it's going to be replaced with the real one, the shuttle Discovery, and I hope it has a whole lot of you know. I hope it looks like beat up. <laughs> hope it's got a lot of scuff marks on it and a lot of you know kind of scorched tiles on the bottom. You know, in the in the um, Air and Space Museum in uh, down in 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 Washington D.C., they have the actual command module that brought Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins back from the moon. And it's on display right there as you walk in. The actual command module is sitting there. And it's great because when you look at that heat shield 
man, you know that that heat shield has actually absorbed some heat. <laughs> it's been scorched, and uh, it just looks you know, appropriately uh, scorched. Um, let's see. Do, 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 what else do we have here on our list? Um, guys, I think that that means... Let me see. Hold on. Now there's a shopping list for Home Depot. <laughs> um, all right. I'll probably think of something else here when we get into the mailbag. But that brings us, gentlemen, Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. All right. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Let's see. Neil, WA4CHQ, stroke QRP wrote in saying that he bought the book, um, enjoyed it, but he had a question. In the book, I say that the, um, the period of the novel, of a, I'm sorry, the period of a novice license back in the early 70s was one year. In other words, you had, you had one year to either upgrade or leave the ranks of the licensed amateur radio operators. Um, Neil recalls it being two years, uh, what do the listeners say? Was it one year or two years? It seems to me it was one year, and I was kind of terrified that I wasn't going to be able to upgrade in that period. But but Neil may be right. So um, what say the uh, the listeners from the uh, early 1970s? And I know there's a lot of you out there. Um, J, W5GAY, writes in, um, commenting on my uh, method of launching wires up into the trees. He comes up with a safer method that involves launching a um, tennis ball with some weights in it probably would be easier on the neighbors thanks for that jay um alan w2aew longtime listener and frequent contributor um he comments on the uh, the two dollar uh, oscilloscope plan that we published i came across this in electric radio magazine it's an idea that comes from the 1930s posted it up on the blog and it's uh it involves a, a motor with a spinning mirror and a pickup coil and a neon tube. It's, uh, it's really um, quite uh, Rube Goldberg, or, uh, or as, the, Heath, or as the, uh, the Brits would say, Heath Robinson. There you go. I haven't used that in a while. <laughs> Check it out. It's on the blog. It's a, it's a, it's a nice, uh, it looks like an interesting way to come up with a simple uh, sort of oscilloscope modulation monitor. I know for many of you there's no need for that. Uh, being CW guys, but for those of you who are into the microphones, uh, this might be a, I thought it would be like a minimalist oscilloscope to go with a minimalist transmitter. One um, one reader wrote in said, who will be the first to actually produce this device? Could it some, be somebody working in an underground lair in New England? <laughs> we'll see. But anyway, uh, Alan, who is a, um, a, um, a field engineer for Tektronix, voiced concern that uh, if if we're hit with a wave of uh, of construction of these kinds of oscilloscopes uh, his his employment might be in danger don't don't worry about it, alan don't don't worry about it <laughs> i don't think the resolution on these things is going to be quite up to uh, tektronic specs let's see uh, paul uh, k0eet sent in a very nice message he just bought the uh, the kindle version of the book and uh, he, uh, he says, quote, I keep reading bits aloud to my wife just to prove that I'm not as odd as she thought. Well, we're, we're glad you're doing that, Paul, and we're, we're happy to be of, of service to the, to the amateur community. Uh, 
<clears throat> Sorry, I got a bit of a frog in my throat here this morning. Andrew, VK5CV, um, makes a suggestion regarding the, uh, the recipe for the chemically tailored solder spoke microphone. He suggests adding a, a bit of Virginia moonshine to the, to the, to the mix. Listen, uh, Andrew, we're in, we're in Northern Virginia. I'm sorry. There's no, there's no moonshine here. <laughs> Let's see. Um, <clears throat> Seth W eight F G. Um, he was the guy who sent us the, the original interview on, um, this week in technology with Bob Heil that, uh, that launched the, uh, the Bob Heil series on our blog. Uh, thanks for that, Seth. Ray, VK4, Zulu Whiskey, um, sends in a very nice circuit that he used to switch over um, his, um, his whisper transceiver from transmit to receive uh, using the, uh, the transmit audio to trigger the, uh, the TR. A very nice arrangement, and I'll have to take a look at that. I'm going to get back to that project and get that uh, whisper transceiver going. Right now, I'm just uh, QRSSing with my uh, shark wave uh, signal. Let's see. Um, Rick K- K0VJ um, sends us a message about Radio Karma. This may be another message from the 1970s, uh, <laughs> but he talks about good Radio Karma. And the good Radio Karma resulted from his downloading the Kindle version of the Solder Smoke book. He said shortly after he did so, he went to a local thrift shop with his wife. He indicated that going to the thrift shop might not have been his top priority for that day, but he was going along with his wife because that's what she wanted to do, which is a good thing. Anyway, while there, he found a Lafayette HE80 receiver with a price tag of $4.95. The radio gods were smiling on, on Rick. Good radio karma indeed. See what happens when you download the Solder Smoke Kindle version? There you go. Thanks very much, Rick. Um, let's see. Alan, oh yeah, we mentioned Alan earlier. Alan, W2AEW, has come up with a really nice uh, oscilloscope tutorial. I suppose it's not, not related to the $2 homebrew mirror spinning uh, device that we have advertised, but real oscilloscopes. And uh, I'll try to get a link to that up on the blog spot, on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. G0KYA wrote in and said that uh, I nearly got him on the Crystal Mike story, but he admits that he was completely taken in by another April 1st uh, transmission this one regarding a way a, a new a new a new breakthrough in long distance communications. I don't know if you guys had heard about this one. I had not, and it probably would have taken me in too. ESE, you know, we've heard of EME. Now we have ESE, Earth Sun Earth. Yes, G zero KYA, hook line and sinker, Earth Sun Earth. But you know, that's what I'm saying. Who knows? I mean, that's the kind of thing we all laugh, but we may be reading within a month or two of some intrepid radio amateur out there actually doing it. Um, and then finally, Steve, WA0PWK, he's the guy who pointed out that uh, there's a big difference between tartar sauce and cream of tartar. And I have uh, put his email up on the blogspot page because I really liked the subject line. I think you guys will get a kick out of it. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's Solder Smoke Mailbag. 
Solder Smoke is brought to you by Sierra Radio Systems, the creators of the Hamstack. Check them out, www.hamstack.com, and visit them at Dayton at booth 406. Hey, before we close, I wanted to let you guys know that our friend Jerry in our 5A out there in South Dakota is still looking for that spare part that we mentioned a few episodes ago. This is a very special spare part. It's not for Jerry's rig. It's for uh, it's for Jerry himself. He's looking for uh, a kidney transplant. He's suffering out there and spending a lot of time with those dialysis machines. We'd like to get him the opportunity to spend more time with his soldering irons, transceivers, and, and oscilloscopes. So if anybody has any ideas on, on how we might help Jerry uh, get what he needs, uh, please let me or, or him know and be much appreciated. We've had a really great response from the solder smoke community and uh, just wanted to let you know that we're, we're still looking. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. And now as a Kindle book at amazon.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!